So, hi Joe, how's it going? What's going on? Lots of stuff. No. Yeah, it's been a crazy week for news. Really? Yeah. Lots of stuff. All the people in the media must love that then. Yeah, it certainly gives them something to do. Yeah. Um, it's always been the way. It's not just that stuff's happening, or stuff's always happening. Yeah. But there's also layers of fake stuff that happens too, and they get to write about that. And then years later, it comes out, actually, that wasn't true. Yeah. Like uh, the Steele dossier. Quietly released this week, you know. Yeah. Ain't that always the way, though? <laughs> I mean, and people... But that generated four years of headlines for yeah. CNN, MSNBC, yeah, yeah. Rachel Maddow, you know. Clicks. In which they had a fantastic kind of... It's a bit like a, an inflation financial bubble, a speculative bubble on the stock market, you know. Mm-hmm. Not really based on any reality. Mm-hmm. There's still an under, underlying economic reality, which has, you know, lots of exciting twists and turns in the real world for real people. But there's a whole fake economy over it that generates its own interests. Yeah. Wealth, if you're lucky. Um, most people just get shafted by it, though. And it's similar with uh, in the information sphere. You know, this massive inflationary bubble, speculative bubble called Russiagate. Mm-hmm. Just quietly, you know, completely undermined last week by the revelation that the source or sources, certainly the prime source, funnily enough, a Russian emigre living in the United States was indicted by John Durham for basically lying to the FBI. And it was his key statements that formed the basis of the Steele dossier Yeah, at the time. And yeah, that was all fake news. Like Trump said, he was right. It was fake news. Yeah, but he was, that was in itself claimed to be fake news. Trump calling it fake news was was fake news. That became the news. Everything he said was fake news. Right. So when he says something's fake news, that in itself is fake news, even exactly. though he's telling the truth. But it, does it not make you kind of depressed about the state of... Uh, journalism. Well, sure. just journalism, but also... Hu- journal- it gets to journalism, obviously, but behind journalism or behind journalists are human beings, and they're pandering information to other human beings, fake information to other human beings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who then take it up at the time, uh, as they did over the four years of Trump administration, Russiagate, all the, all the mm-hmm. bullshit around that, the lies, the uh, misinformation, people ate it up, you know, were shouting about it on Twitter, Trump's a terrorist, Trump's a, Trump's a dictator, Trump's a Nazi, Trump's a this, that, the other, all of it basically fueled by the media, fake media coverage of this particular story in particular about Russiagate and his collusion with Russia, which didn't happen, never happened, completely fabricated with this dodgy steel dossier, funded by the Democrats, funded by essentially the Washington establishment, who we've talked about previously many times about them basically being anti-Trump because of who Trump was and what he wanted to do. Primarily, or summed up in a nutshell, Trump wanted to be president, as in commander-in-chief, as in having the right to make decisions to direct the course of the country's foreign and domestic policies. No, that's not the way it works in America. It hasn't worked that way in America for a long time. The POTUS, as evidenced by Biden, is a ceremonial position, more or less. The real decisions taken behind the scenes by career politicians, career bureaucrats, uh, the Washington establishment, quote-unquote. They hated Trump because of, essentially because of that was his attitude of of taking control of the situation, actually assuming the the position of Mm -hmm. commander-in-chief as it's written down in the the description, in the job description. And he wanted to do things. They wanted to get rid of him from the get-go. So they pushed out a bunch of fake news, lies, smear campaigns. Millions, hundreds of millions of people believed it and ran with it. 
and it became part of their reality. A few years later, do they even know that they were lied to? It doesn't matter, right? Because they have an image of Trump in that whole era that's stuck with them now. That's part of their reality now. That's part of actual history. Well, and it doesn't matter if something comes out now yeah, to refute it you all. You began by asking, do the people who specifically wrote these well, the ones reports, who wrote, the ones who do they it? care uh, now that... Uh, no. Well, I, I think in there, they, they will quietly tell themselves, either at the time, if they're smart enough, or now, if they care to pay attention to that development, that, uh, you know, yeah, but look. It was just Trump. a fight anyway, right? politics, world war here. You know? Even if it wasn't technically true, yeah, it was something had Their to be Their beliefs remain guy. true. Right, but it's, it's in the realm of belief rather than yes. actual fact. Yeah. And that's my problem with journalists behind journalists are ordinary people and they're pandering these lies that they're believing themselves to other ordinary people. And the response from both of them is the same, which is just to go with whatever feels best to me, whatever feels like it should be the truth based on my subjective, personal, whatever opinions, then I'm going to go with yeah. that. And even when after the fact it comes out that it's false for both the journalists and the people who believed it at the time, it doesn't matter that it's yeah. wrong. It's no, still true. They'll respond to you with something on the effect of, but look at his face. Yeah, you didn't see the way he was... L listen to him. Look at the way he carries yeah. himself. When it comes down to it, he You know have, that I know, that we know. That, he know. shouldn't have been present because of the way he looks, essentially. Yeah. That was enough to... It was a mistake, yeah. Yeah, and it was enough. It was justified in fabricating a lot of lies and, and disinformation that, let's say, they believe made sure he wasn't re-elected was was justified yeah. it was justified in fabricating those it lies for because, people's own good because he should never be president stupid anyway. people voted for trump they believe and there are too many people who shouldn't be voting right but that's something we have to live with the fact is they have a vote yeah and so we're just implementing course correction measures right. here and whatever it takes it's like yeah. i didn't like him orange man bad therefore whatever got him out was justified that's what, it's not, it's not exactly a moral position to take, like, you know what I mean, there isn't a lot of, there's no hang-ups there about telling lies to get your way and all that kind of stuff, right? That's, that's, and that's, what, what I'm kind of getting at here is that's the state of the average person. Yeah. So people shouldn't be under any illusions. In the current climate, for yeah. sure. Or maybe humanity can I, in general. Can I give you a more recent example? Yeah. A uh, much smaller level, but still, it was a blockbuster. It would, this would be a blockbuster story in any other year, perhaps 10 years ago. The decade-long governor of New York, Cuomo, was ousted extra-legally, well, legally, technically, but outside the normal electoral, electoral cycle this mm -hmm. year. And you, do you remember, you know, roughly what the gist of that was, why he, why he was forced to go? Because he, of, of uh, sexual abuse. Yes. Against uh, employee, uh, employees, yeah. Allegations of sexual abuse. That's being followed and really actually only looked into by one person. Someone who doesn't like him, he admits, is Michael Tracy, he's an independent journalist in New York. Now, he would be a left-leaning guy himself, but he, he is, he's, he's a good guy, in the sense that he's honest and sincere. And he says, okay, so these are my colors. This is where my background is. You can tell it from the flavor of my tweets or the, the tone of my writing. Mm -hmm. But, and, and mea culpa, I don't like this guy, so right. I can see why everyone wants to jump at him. But can we just actually look at the facts of the case here? Anyway, he wrote something recently that his um, Cuomo's daughter tweeted. Finally, someone's looked at it. And it's, it's gained traction that way, on, uh, thanks to her retweeting this story. Because Michael Tracy's story didn't get published in any big 
Right. Or it was put on his Substack account. Anyway, it's a very simple lockdown. He said he looked into the key woman, uh, 25 at the time, who claimed sexual uh, abuse by Cuomo against her mm-hmm. as a young office worker in his campaign or whatever. The woman is legally, she was legally found to have made up the same allegation against someone she, quote, wanted ousted from her faculty while she was at university. Right. They did get rid of him at the time, but then there was a comeback, maybe the guy's family or something, and an investigation. Mm-hmm. And they found that this woman had done exactly the same kind of setup where she'd made up bullshit because she didn't like the guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what their beef was. There was some political clash at college or whatever. She has a track record, a proven actual track record of doing that. And she did this. She's, she's only, you know, someone could always make claims. But the other big element in this story is that the Democratic establishment around Cuomo in New York took advantage of it. Specifically, under Cuomo, the Attorney General, Letitia James, who <laughs> has, has an admitted interest in becoming governor herself. Right. And she was the one who broke all freaking due process protocols by listing all of the allegations in a, in a press conference that basically condemned him in trial by media. Condemned who? Uh, governor Cuomo. Right. Um, she, no, she named all the allegations against him. She basically conducted as a kind of prosecutor in front at a press conference all the claims against Cuomo. And he was, <coughs> he was gone within days. Yeah. Uh, under media pressure. You know, he just resigned. But uh, to go back to the guy who you were saying is a, a, an enemy of doesn't like Cuomo. That's Letitia James, black woman. She oh, was the uh, top prosecutor mm-hmm. under him. She still is, I think, because mm-hmm. of course it's only been a replacement. There hasn't been an election, and she's the one who made the allegations. No, no, no. no. It's it's someone else. It was right. um, I don't know, an assistant, right? A much younger woman, but. Uh, there's, there's some, no one knows. See, Tracy says, he's looked at this long and hard. There isn't evidence of a conspiracy, say, between, okay, so I'll, I'll claim abuse and then someone else goes, good, we'll work with that to get me into power. It's not even that dark and conspiratorial. What he's, he's saying is, I've looked at it up and down. The main element in all of this is pure laziness. The journalist just Don't care. couldn't be arsed. To, to look into this. And that was, it was the laziness that just went with, oh, it's a me too against him. Well, I don't want to get, you know, on the wrong side of that. So everyone would just go, I vote him out. I, but that's I'm, essentially it. But I'm glad Cuomo was gone. <laughs> I know, but. It's, and why is it, so you're saying this isn't a story when it should be a story because Cuomo was obviously part of the establishment. He should have been, he was favored by the establishment. There was everybody. He was, he was the one taking, well, he killed a bunch of people in care homes during the COVID uh, lockdown. The fact of the matter is he won officially, uh, handsomely, in the three times he was elected as governor of New yeah, York. Yeah, but that doesn't say much to me anyway, in the sense of I have no faith in, 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 in voters. And for me, but, go, go, but, you, but you see the problem there. You're saying, I don't like him for things he's done, mm-hmm. so it's fine that he goes. Right. I don't care how he so goes. So are you sure there's no, no, no uh, from what you've seen, there's no... No substantial s- subs- basis to it. No right? substance to the evidence that he was, there was sexual abuse or... 
certainly not uh, rape, no. No, but like, you know, grabbings and different things or just sexual harassment even, like that there was nothing that he could have been accused of doing that was inappropriate to his female staff or people around him. Michael, Michael Tracy is sure. There but, there's, but there's nothing. Yeah. There's and, nothing. He, and he dislikes him. So that, right. So he's, yeah, he's a good person <laughs> to actually... Uh, to, to you see what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't, he, the last person he wants to defend. Right. That's why so, well, that's Tracy's really, an interesting guy because then when it came to Trump, he was also going, hang on a second, um, are we all just engaged in a pile-on here? Right. But Cuomo's hoisted hoist on his own petard in that respect because he was obviously part of right. that whole, you know, woke, supporting woke leftist kind of, you know, radical feminist, uh, you know, that whole dynamic that's been going on for, for quite a long time. He was part of that. I mean, he's on that side of the fence in that respect. You know what I mean? He's certainly, he was anti-Trump, anti all of that. He's pro-establishment and stuff. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah. So yeah, so I would be, I can't sit here and complain about um, the media making up stories to oust effectively one, in one way or another, oust Trump if I'm not gonna, uh, if I'm going to also be happy about them doing the same thing essentially for Austin Cuomo, even though I don't like Cuomo, not that I necessarily like Trump, but certainly I don't uh, not like Trump in the same way I don't like uh, Andrew Cuomo, you know? Right. No, the whole thing was just, I mean, it's yeah. complicated. Well, that's a good example of how the whole thing is very complicated and you can't just take things at, at face value. Yeah. Everything's nuanced. You've got to look at it all from both sides and you've got to be honest with yourself and, and make sure you're not being too much of a hypocrite. Although yeah. hypocrisy is a way I like it for most people, but... Um, for, for good or bad, Cuomo couldn't be beaten in an election. Yeah, how did that happen? So the guys come, if, you know we're, why? If, if we're all agreeing that elections aren't important anymore, let's shelve them and it's open season on just slandering each other. Right. Then fine, let's go for it. Let's, let's make that the standard for everything. And let's just smear people. Let's, right just, let's just have it all out because yeah, that's yeah. where this is all going. Yeah. <laughs> or where it already is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't handle the whole thing with people. Like uh, over the pandemic, it was just so galling to me over the, the lockdown business where Como was basically had been shunting people out of uh, hospitals, elderly out of hospital in, in back into care homes where, where tens of thousands of them in New York State died. How unique was he in that? I've heard no, here about the UK. Of, of course, like it happened. 80,000 people at this point. Of course, it happened across, across the world, right? Yeah. But my problem is that then he was standing up as the protector of New York you know, the strong leader in a crisis, everybody loved him. There were people talking, you know, people, women in particular, obviously in some gay men claiming to be, have, have their, had a new uh, sexual preference, which was, uh, um, or a new sexual orientation, which was homosexuals. I think that says more about the people. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's my problem. My yeah. problem is the people uh, and, and the way they, they respond to this whole situation. And obviously, like we started out saying, my problem is the way people respond to the fact that Everything they believed about Trump, the 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 meat, the the core of their the the core allegations and evidence that they used to convince themselves and allow themselves to be convinced by the media that Trump was this evil white supremacist Russian colluding Nazi was all false. It's mm. been proven right now to be false. We saw it at the time very clearly. It wasn't very hard to see that it was completely made up. It was part of the the form in which the the establishment has been doing. You know, they've gone about doing many other similar things uh, in nature in the past. So we spotted it immediately. It was ridiculous. But at the time, people believed all of that. Now it's been proven to be a lot of people a believed it, people. willingly believed it, willfully believed it. And now that it's been proven false, like you just said, quietly in the past week, 
little articles. Oh, yeah, that whole steel dossier thing about the Russian collusion thing. Yeah, all made up. The all Washington totally Post just went back to its original articles it published at the time. You know, it's bombshell exposés. Yeah. Democracy dies in darkness and all that. And they just removed chunks from the article. Right. And put a note at the end to say, we've done so. Right. That's we it. just removed all the lies that we had in this article that convinced you that... All the, all the definite provable ones. And yeah. they're going to creep up. There'll be more, you know. Yeah. It's funny, though, that the whole right, you know, <laughs> it drove us nuts during the, the last couple of Trump's years because the right wing was like, oh, just you wait. Just you wait. Tomorrow there's going to be bombshell revelations. Mm. And well, it, funnily enough, the Durham investigations, among others, did yield results. They were always going to in court. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. Trial by media is one thing. One that actually gets to a court case, as we saw with Rittenhouse trial last week, it's a different world. Yeah. You know, reality, facts, yeah. evidence still apply in these things. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, there's certain... I mean, the whole justice system is... is, yeah, is I suppose it's like a two-tier. Well, there's, yeah, two-tier in a certain sense. There's cases and claims that, that go to court or are litigated in one way or another um, that if, in, if they in some way involve the state or that could, as part of the, the, the process, as part of the trial process, could involve the state and reveal state secrets, then it's, there's a complete lockdown on it. Ones that don't, you can you get 24... You get live cams of the entire process mm -hmm. as you just uh, said with the Rittenhouse uh, trial but for an example is uh, what do you call her uh, Epstein, Ep Maxwell Maxwell that's just started though in fairness but yeah I expect still she oh, was in and out no of various trials and stuff I mean at a various hearings sorry, hearing, sorry. Um, there's no picture there's only badly those badly sketches sketch. she was given granted an interview this week though with Daily Mail oh yeah mm -hmm. So it's only, not, but then, yeah, what happened over the, I don't know, yeah. But certainly I don't think the trial is going to be televised in that one, right? Unless th this whole process has been setting it up in a certain way that they know what the trial will actually, yeah. uh, what it will be about and what, what, it, what will be in the trial and what won't be in the trial, you know. But yeah, it's interesting. Even, even the, like I was thinking, because I think, I don't know if he, I don't think he tried it, but you know Sarnev, the Boston bomber, the younger guy? Um, mm -hmm. jo Jokar or I don't know what his name was surname Sarnev one of the two Boston bombers the younger brother who, was, yeah. who survived uh, he's been in prison and all that kind of stuff but his, his trial also wasn't because the judge in the Rittenhouse trial referenced that at one point when I was watching he referenced mm -hmm. the Sarnev trial as just in, in terms of what he was talking about and it made me think as well that there was you know there was no that's not an example we had sketches of what was going on in court uh, because it's got national security considerations probably involved and so you don't get the public don't get to hear about it right so a whole other world going on there behind the scenes that the public is not given access to and yeah. just fed stories that are deemed appropriate for them to hear and yeah which actually might lead into and give a brief synopsis of it maybe uh, you can give a bit of a promotion for it um last night you watched the latest Oliver Stone JFK Yes. Uh, documentary uh, on uh, JFK Tomorrow's the anniversary, 58 right. years and counting. 58 years and there's still a state secret. Right. <laughs> I mean, anyone born in like the last 20, 30 years, just they're kind of in a cynic way. They're just smart. They just, a lot of them anyway. Mm -hmm. We call them millennials, but they also have a, a smart, there, there's a lot of memes out there where they're just like, if you're still keeping it secret, yeah. From the time of our grandparents, that to us is an admission of guilt, yeah, right. state 
guilt. But anyway. that's an example of what we were talking about before as well, is that at this point, and maybe I don't know if it's now, if it's particularly bad now, or if it's always been this way, but it seems that it's in human society, it's, it's fine for major scandalous state crimes to be publicly admitted to in a particular way, but nonetheless publicly admitted to, and there to be no action taken on it. If no one takes any action, the public doesn't take any action. Mm-hmm. And if no one takes any action, and then the public are left with, you know, maybe some of them question it, but a lot of them just don't even question anything or just ignore it and just go with the official story because that's easier because it's a news bite. Oswald killed Kennedy. That's fine. I don't want to think about it. But, I mean, the implications of, of like, in JFK and even in, 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 case, in the case of Trump, it's like crazy. You have like a parallel government in the case of Trump, a parallel government ousted effectively, even if leaving aside any shenanigans around the election, the narrative would be that the, 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 the allegations made against him during his administration, during his, his term, were so severe that he was unelectable afterwards, and that's why he lost. You could say that's why he lost. So effectively, it was effectively a coup by some kind of parallel government, real government, who had the power to do that and get rid of him. Through mostly... And L- nobody cares. Through mostly the guy who became president next, yeah. LBJ. Do some people know that that's the case? That well, They recognize that there is that power and they're happy with that power because it's kind of like a secret government, like a secret Santa or something, like a real... That's that's an interesting sociological phenomenon because it's a fine. number of commentators, all the way up to like, up I say up because you know he's a esteemed guy, academic uh, Jonathan Haidt. Yeah, pretty much they talk about the deep state. Yeah, that's the way it should be. The deep state is keeping us safe, basically. Yeah, the intel community. So it's, it's a it's a rear guard or it's a it's a, um it's yeah like another parallel government that is there as an insurance against if ever the yes. overt government goes wrong, you need to have those structures in place in order to safeguard democracy and by definition it has to be done in secret therefore it's not demo- is it democracy anymore what's the definition of democracy when you get into that kind of stuff <clears throat> i don't know anyway JFK. i could talk for an hour about it because you see there, there, there's a kind of a mystery at the heart of jfk there's obviously there's the mystery of who killed him but there's also a mystery of who is, something is guiding the revelations that we have had from then till now. Right. Okay, so anyway, the, the documentary is called JFK Re- Revisited Through the Looking Glass. And JFK Revisited is a reference to the fact that Oliver Stone's movie in 1991 was called JFK. So he's, right. he's saying, well, here we are 30-some years later. What's come out since? I did a movie on it that was dramatized. Here's and the, he references a couple of times. And here's, but, the, here's a factual documentary now. Here's a factual documentary, and we're going to zoom in specifically on things that have emerged since then. And it's... <clears throat> he's entitled to do it because his movie in 91 had a sociological effect, namely re- rekindling of interest in, and calls for you know, the publishing of documents. And it red-pilled a bunch of people, I'd say. Probably, yeah. yeah. On the JFK thing. Yeah, in 91. And that forced the then H.W. Bush government to go, okay, okay. And they set up, they passed a bill that would commit to a certain time period, I think they said initially by 2029, mm-hmm. everything would have to be released. That wasn't enough. I think they then brought that forward to 25 years hence, at the latest, everything we have 
within reason. There's, there's a clause within everything that can possibly be released and redacted will be declassified and so on. But a lot has, and there are some good details. And, and Oliver Stone put them together in his documentary. Um, probably the main revelation for most people, although it's been who are familiar explained, with it who are familiar with the, the topic, is that um, it's quite clear from Stone's new documentary that Lee Harvey Oswald, the lone gunman who officially killed all on his lonesome, the president of the United States of America, was not in the building from which was not he in was, the book depository from which there. JFK was supposedly no. shot. And the specific revelation Making it difficult for him to shoot him. <clears throat> yes. So when he's saying, I'm just a patsy, as he's been led from place to place in the aftermath, he's... He's right. He's telling he's, the truth. He's telling the truth. Um, so his statement... That's a bombshell developer because, you know, if he's not in the building right there, you've got... Okay, so it's wide open now. In Who, the, from where, yeah. fired? In the, so in the official kind of account or details that people might have seen, and a lot of people would have seen Oswald, those little snippets of Oswald as he's taken from jail to prison or to jail, jail to a courthouse, yeah. wherever he's going, where he, the media tried to get a few questions in and he's being ushered along and he says, one of them asked him, did you kill the president? He said, I didn't kill anyone. And then he followed up by saying, I'm just a patsy. Yeah. Those four or five word, five or six words uh, were probably the only true words spoken, at least at the time, uh, in the entire you know, process of, of, of coming up with the, uh, the official explanation that they came up with within a, within a few weeks yeah. uh, of Oswald killed JFK and he was shot from behind from the book depository. That was all, all false. Just before you go into it a little bit, I just want to add, because it just occurred to me, that this is why, and I, I think I've talked about this before, uh, why conspiracy theories terrify people so much. And this is a good example, because when you, if you get, like, for example... Some people I know who are not into conspiracy theories and don't even care about them. Um, average members of the public, let's say, who read the Daily News and don't think very much about it. If they were to watch that documentary or other documentaries that really show that it's impossible for anybody to believe that JFK, or that uh, Oswald killed JFK and that there, there clearly was a broad-scale kind of um, conspiracy to kill the kill JFK, um, they understand from watching that that it, those details imply or kind of presage a a power that is so cunning, ruthless, and powerful that now that they've been aware, been made aware that it exists they realize instinctively that there's nothing you can do about it. It's so powerful that yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. So it, they just, they, they, without them telling you this, if the average person that comes across these, these ideas, that's what I was kind of saying, I think I was saying it the other day, uh, all, of the, all conspiracy theories tend to imply, all of them have as a, as a common theme, that idea of a very extremely powerful, cunning, ruthless uh, system behind the overt system. And... Um, why would I even bother contemplating that when built into it is the idea that I can do nothing against such a monstrous power? So I just have to, it's almost like... Or worse, of, if I go too far in my activism... I might be in trouble. Yeah. I might get in trouble with it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you can see why people shut off or creates a kind of dissociation where they just go, la, 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 you know, what you're telling me is a bit scary. I don't want to hear it. And very often they'll, they'll respond to it in anger. And that's where you get the whole 
know, a certain amount of anger, at least at very least a lot of derision and anger towards the idea of conspiracy theories because they all imply this serious power that people can do nothing uh, about by definition. And so they don't want to hear about it, you know. Um, so just shut up. Shut up and take the jab. Shut up and take the shot. Shut up and take your vaccine. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so it's understandable because uh, I'm all the time, like a big part of my in, do, in, in research and all the stuff we've researched over the years is I want to understand why it's so few, relative few, relatively few people who can go there and, under, and, and, and are, are interested in these kinds of things. And they're all fact-based things. Like, I mean, I mean, the JFK conspiracy is totally fact-based. The, the conspiracy against Trump is totally fact-based. But why so many people dismiss those facts out of hand and get angry at you and maybe if it goes far enough to tell you to shut the hell up and you might get into a fight over it or something. Why that happens, why those people, ordinary people, have such a strong reaction to those that idea of conspiracy theories. So I've you know, thought off and on quite a lot about trying to understand the psychology behind it and that's kind of like more or less the best explanation I can come up with. We've talked previously about people being very dependent on authority and feeling kind of vulnerable in life in general at a kind of subconscious level and that plays into it as well, you know, but, uh, you know, so uh, part of this is me trying to understand my own position as much as understanding other people's positions yeah. or, or, or how the two yeah. connect and how the two are, are very, very much uh, separated, you know. Yeah. Well, the democratically elected president of the United States at the zenith of his power in 1963 had his head blown open and everyone in the world saw it, similar to 9-11. Not everyone has TVs as much, but eventually everyone in Africa, Asia, everyone's heard about it or knew about it. Saw the pictures. Um, and that, that is a way of getting something done politically, okay, on the one hand, but it's also a way of telling people, yeah, this is, this is the power we wield, this is the terror we commit. Don't challenge us. They Don't rock blow your, We can blow his head off in broad daylight and get how away easy, with it. How much easier is Are it? Are you willing to take his place? Yeah, or how, much easy, how much easier is it for us to do it to you if we yeah. can do it to the President of the United States? Yeah, yeah. yeah so there's a very clear chilling effect <clears throat> on the population that maybe passes at a, an unconscious level. People don't recognize it, but at the back of their minds, there's a there's an awareness. And wasn't that isn't that was it Eisenhower who talked? Was it Eisenhower who talked about that? Um, and his farewell speech, farewell yeah. speech about there being a power so the military industrial complex. Basically, he first coined the term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Behind the scenes, that men who men who dare to speak of it uh, do so in hushed hushed tones, type thing. As I said, I could go on for an hour about JFK because. The story of the developments in what has been released since then from the um, Zapruder film being released, I think it was about 10 years afterwards, early 70s. Zapruder? Zapruder. Yeah. To the Zapruder film shocked people because that was the first time they saw because the deep state government had decided to protect the people by not showing them right. what they had. But then that was published. And so they were re, sort of re-terrorized, but shown it for the first time. But that also spawned uh, a popular demand for something to be done at the same time. So we're terrorizing you, but it also brought them out to engage in conspiracy mm-hmm. theories mm-hmm. or thinking about what the hell just happened uh, mm-hmm. to our president. 
which spawned the um, House, the Church Committee, and then the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Right. And some fairly deep diving into what American, only American intelligence agencies were getting up to at home and abroad. And that didn't change anything either. It didn't cause any kind of like a restructuring or uh, as JFK wanted to do to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces. That didn't that didn't cause any uh, blowback for the CIA, even though they dealt into it. And um, yeah, and even then came but up. Do you with even do, do you know that that is attributed to JFK? Because it well, appeared in the New York Times. It's not clear that he said it. He, officially, he was shown the New York Times report. And it was actually first reported in an obscure Washington Daily, not one of the big Washington papers, by someone going by a name like a pseudonym mm. based out. And he, he said they filed the report, the yeah, report, from Vietnam. Mm. Anyway, the New York Times carried it and published it as well. Mm. So that infamous quote is actually not clear because officially in the official records, I think maybe revealed by the Stone documentary. No, excuse me, no, it's, it's an earlier revelation. Anyway, it's simply the, the White House notes from that day that President Kennedy was shocked when he saw that report. Claiming that he had said he wanted to A month to shatter. before that he would shatter this and that uh, he wasn't sure. that And something like that if... The, the report claimed that at the very highest levels of our government, the president of the, the White House is unsure that they can control the CIA. At the very highest levels of our government, that doesn't imply this, but in realistic terms, it, it, it doesn't It, doesn't it implied imply. that it was the president leaking this yeah. to Arthur Kroc. But first of all, Arthur Kroc for the New York Times never actually, was mm. he wasn't the originator of it. It was someone else who has never been tracked down. Mm. Probably secondly, someone, someone of, in the CIA. Other records contradicted, namely that JFK was shot. It wasn't. It wasn't the workaround where he was trying to pass a hint on to the American people that yeah. they're after me. Anyway, the It'll reason why that's interesting is because it's one of a number of items that has been suggested since by, let's say, the fringe of the JFK research movement. That these are carefully planted things, either ahead of time or in the subsequent decades since that subtly point to U.S. domestic CIA intelligence involvement in it. Mm -hmm. Which is, what, okay, so then you say, why, if they have, their policy in general is a wall against a wall revealing, silence. would they themselves then do that? Well, the theory is there's a third party doing it. Mm. That's not U.S. intelligence. Yeah. Um... Well, what do you call him, Bill? What do you call the comedian you like? Bill Gates. No, that's, he's a comedian, yeah, Bill Gates. Uh, no, oh, Bill, Bill Gates, Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks, yeah. I mean, he summed it up. I mean, I find it kind of interesting that there's this document, new documentary by Oliver Stone, two hours long. It's into all the details, exhaustive, and it's, I mean, you, you watch it, and the end of it is obviously the official story is complete and utter bullshit. Obviously, it was a conspiracy for one within the deep state within the US to shoot and kill uh, President Kennedy. But he summed it up. He, I mean, the only piece of information you really needed to, to just blow the whole, the whole thing open without knowing all the details was him and one of his sketches when he talked about JFK. He just said, you know, you look at that Tapura film and, you know, Oswald's behind him supposedly in the, yeah. in the book depository <coughs> and he just, and Bill, Bill Hicks just goes, you know, but you look at the Tapura film and you see the, the President being shot and it's like back and to the to left. left. 
back into the left. Exactly. Back into the left. So, and it's like, the, so he shot from behind and his head went back into the left. So th- this, this, this is the fringe theory within... End of debate, like. Exactly. This is the fringe theory within the movement. It's so freaking obvious. Yeah. It's been so freaking obvious since the, the Pruder film was published in the early 70s that there's something else going on here. Namely, there's a third party that, for some reason, U.S. intelligence is forced to protect its role in it because U.S. intelligence thought it was going to do one thing with JFK, specifically stage an assassination, not actually whack him, their own commander-in-chief. Because this is a sticking point, and this is why those people who cannot go there, they will often say this, look, come on. We're talking about, you're, you're saying our own intelligence. Those are generally tend to be our patriots. They work hard to protect our country. <clears throat> and you're saying that they went in a conspiracy with the other intel agencies, the FBI, etc., and the military and the Pentagon to kill the president. They might not have liked him, but that's, so it, that's to one conspiracy <clears throat> too far for me. And they have a point. What if there was hmm. one plan or idea to stage one? either to spook Kennedy and deceive him, or if he's too smart, nevertheless to leave him with holding something hot, a hot potato we had to deal with, namely, oh, shit. So here it is. We just had a failed assassination attempt on By him. the commies. By the commies. And now I've got to do, do what something. we didn't do before because in Bay of, of Pigs and actually of, go into Cuba. Because of public opinion. Yes. You can whip up public opinion as a result of... But Mr. President, the commies tried to kill you. Aren't you going to stand up for yourself? Aren't, are, are you a chicken? What are you going to do with these commies? So, so that the was the theory, plan. The theory, yeah, that was the plan. And but that, there, was, there was a double cross right. where someone came in and just went, switched in real bullets and real shooters and did it live. Yeah, I've, I've come across that. That makes sense because to us specifically, because we found a double cross, we think, in 9-11. Yeah, yeah, the same. There's, there's a pattern there, yeah. It's almost like nested patsies. Exactly. You know, you've uh, <laughs> levels of patsies. You've got Oswald as the consummate patsy, obviously, at the front end. But then within that, people behind it who thought they were doing something with Oswald found out a bit too late that, oh, that's not what we were doing. We were doing something else. And now that the, uh, there's something else has been dropped on me, I'm implicated. And look how and somebody has leverage over me yeah. because I put myself in this exactly. position thinking I was part of a specific plan, a specific exactly. with specific details, and that we were all on the same page yes. and that I would go here and do this and it would be covered. But now I realize that actually now that it went live and it went beyond what I thought it was, was going to happen, I'm exposed. Exactly. And that person who exposed me, and I suddenly with horror look behind me and realize that the guy I thought was part of my team is kind of looking at me with a kind of wry grin on his face and saying, yeah, you know. And forever so, after, you have to defend him yeah. from that mob. Right. Otherwise, the mob, he has set it up, so that mob's going to come after right. you. You're next in line if you don't play ball. And, and obviously, the big thing that we're not talking about here is oh, that's, that would, in one word, although it, it doesn't explain it, obviously, but Israel is, is, the, is the proposed um, master. Third party. Mastermind or master planner behind that. And of course, when we say Israel, we don't necessarily mean Israel. We mean intel agencies associated with Israel. Um, and we mean, I suppose, again, kind of levels within intel agencies. Yeah. It may not even be just Israel. It may be leveled within the intelligences within the US. You've got mm-hmm. overt, in the same way you've got an overt government in the US and in other countries, and then a kind of advisors or deep state or, you know, deep state mandarins type thing or, or bureaucrats. In the same way, at the political level, you have that. You have that the same dynamic at 
the level of intelligences where you have mm -hmm. overt intelligences. You've got the overt director of intelligence, you've got the overt director of the CIA, director of the FBI. And beyond them, you've got people who are unknown yeah. who pull their strings. Yeah. And their mole <coughs> in the American intelligence structure in that time, right. their chief mole by far was James Jesus Angleton. Right. He, it was found out later, leaked to the either the Church Committee or the House Select Committee on uh, Assassinations a memo that for the first time exposed the fact that there was a CIA agent in Dealey Plaza at the time, Hunt, Howard Hunt. Mm -hmm. And he did that, the cheeky git, by sending a memo to the incoming in the 70s CIA director, Bissell, I think. Just a memo to let you know that um, this thing here where it shows that Howard Hunt is in Dealey Plaza on 22nd November 1963, we ought maybe to get an alibi for him. And Bissell, like, was, holy shit, don't give me this, you yeah. know? So he buried it. Well, that got declassified in the 90s, thanks to mm. the, 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 the fallout from the JFK movie. So Angleton Everybody... himself, and Angleton <clears throat> is CIA counterintelligence. He's the guy who looks, after, who looks for spies in America. He's the one who goes around. Look, he's, the power, he's basically the chief finder of moles mm. in the system. Mm. And he was the key mole for Israeli Mossad. Yeah. They revered him so much. They have two freaking memorials to this guy in Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For services that, above and beyond. That kind of stuff's in plain sight as well, yeah. 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 A crude analogy would be someone plotting a, a crime that you're not really involved in, but you're kind of observing or whatever, or would be like someone with, <clears throat> with the wherewithal to plan a crime, commit a crime, and they don't want to be found out, let's say, or they don't want the crime to to proceed uh, on the investigation of the crime to proceed in a certain direction so, and, and the, the police are a threat to them. So what they do is they find some way to implicate the police in the crime. Yeah. They say, that, you know, and, and the police are investing in the crime. The police, the detective who's investing in this crime and wants to pursue it in the normal way, he suddenly finds that in the evidence, his fingerprint is on the crime scene before he arrived. And he's like, and then he becomes he party becomes to the crime. He becomes invested in covering, in covering it, up. it up. Yeah. It's, pretty, it's not complicated to do. You just have to be quite, you have to be quite a cunning, nefarious and, and, and cunning kind of person to, to involve it. You have to have some kind of grand plan, power control, some kind of addiction in that respect. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's all very interesting, but we it better fries get... the brain of the average person. So, uh, yeah. and we're not saying our listeners are the average people, but like I'm saying, there's no point in talking to any of your friends or family about these kind of things because you will fry their brains and uh, they won't thank you for it. Yeah, you'll end up a paranoid, gibbering idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you'll end like up we all no, end up with, a little bit you know, you on the it, way to. If you push it too far, you'll end up with no friends or family. Um, yeah. So you got to play, play a kind of game in that respect, you know. Okay, so we should let's let's deal with our a big topic. Um, maybe, maybe we can do this in passing. But it's been a lot of protests um, yesterday, of course, Saturday. I think globally, I don't know how these things are coordinated, but there were a lot of protests yesterday against all things. Um, COVID pass, vaccine pass. COVID pass, vaccine pass, mandatory. That came up last week, didn't it? I mean, when we left, we, were, we did a show last week and one of our main topics was, Jesus, Austria's gone and done the next step. They, they, a selective lockdown for those who are unvaccinated. Well, that only lasted five days and they announced, actually, we're putting everyone in lockdown. All you vaccinated As of tomorrow, people. Monday. Yep. Plus, by February 1st, everyone 
in the entire country has to be vaccinated yeah. or they will be fined, i.e. they will be they're criminalising not taking the vaccine. Well, mandates, like, I can understand people protesting mandates because I'm against mandating anything. You know, am I? Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe in something, well, yeah, I kind of am against mandating everything. That's just a personal position okay. uh, from mandating anything. Um, I, can, I, I can understand how you can proscribe certain things, but mandating in terms of, it kind of like it gets into Jordan Peterson's, the difference he makes between uh, asking people or telling people they can't do something, actively do something, and there's a big difference between that and telling people that they have to do something. Yeah, They have to take some action or you will be uh, punished. punished. That I'm pretty much against that across the board. I mean, and it seems reasonable that uh, everybody... I would assume that everybody would be on board with that, but apparently not. Anyway, I'd say there's a lot of people out there who are quite happy with the idea of mandating medical procedures oh, for the population or, too you're, many. or you're going to jail. There are too many people. But I look at these protests and I'm thinking, okay, so there were massive ones in Austria, yeah. of course, given that you know they're currently front and center with this stuff. A big one in Switzerland, big ones in Germany, a big one in Croatia. Uh, three major ones in the UK, both England, Northern Ireland, Wales, uh, not Wales, Scotland for sure. A uh, big one again in Paris that's been you know, every week in France. Mm-hmm. A massive one in Rome. Yep. Media said 3,000 far-right activists. <laughs> that's how the AP opened with the report. It's not 3,000 people. I have a video here. It's, it's easily tens of thousands. Big one in Brussels yesterday, uh, the Czech Republic. Four or five major cities had massive protests in Australia, probably like Austria, uh, getting the worst of it right now. Um, there was a big one in New York City. You know, I imagine Surprisingly. generally all, you know, that hashtag resistance, basically those types of people, but they're definitely against their freedom button has been pinged more than their empathy button at this right. point. So there's an impressive turnout in New York City. Um, massive protests in Canada, New Zealand, um, smaller ones, but still Sweden, Norway, and a big one last night in Denmark. And France, in Paris. France and Paris. Yesterday was the third anniversary of the Yellow Vest, uh, beginning of the Yellow Vest movement. So they had a kind of a a celebration, a birthday party uh, of a three-year anniversary, but obviously it was mixed in with the whole anti-COVID pass, anti-vaccine pass, and um, general... But it's interesting that it hasn't reached the same ferocity as the Elevas one yet. No. I say yet. I presume it's, that's the trend. That's where it's going. Yeah. Speaking of ferocity, probably the ones we saw in the Netherlands Thursday, Friday were the most intense. They were riots, okay? Friday and Saturday night, yeah. Um, I, Last because night there, they, they're, they're, they have a similar selective quality to the Austrian ones. They're going to lock down specific cities or regions mm-hmm. in the Netherlands based on how cases are doing or mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Well, the people there went apeshit, uh, especially in Rotterdam mm-hmm. on Thursday. Now, the reports about that are seven injured and that police fired warning shots, Real. implying that they were actual live, you know, live, live bullets. Live, live We've seen the video and it sounds like live bullets. And then you see someone dropping. Was he hit? They say no one's dead, but uh, maybe just, the just media doesn't follow well up. I don't know. Um, I don't know which which do, we, kinda, do you want to watch any of these videos? Put on the Rotterdam one. Yeah. Do you have the one where the guy drops? Because um, there's a video you can people. If we don't have it, people can look for it themselves. It's one of the common ones 
the most popular ones of Rotterdam from the past couple of nights. It was Friday night that it happened. Just somebody's taking a video and uh, there's fireworks going off or stuff and you can see the police not too far away and there's a guy just standing on the corner and there's a gunshot and he falls over. Uh, oh. Which is kind of scary when you think about it that there's people in the streets of glorious Western democracies who are out protesting the forced the, the, the government policy to force them to take a medication and when they protest that they get shot by the police <laughs> I mean that image is just like I mean it's I know. Like, it, it, it conjures up the worst of totalitarian regimes do this really. or I mean, you're course, shot well yeah I mean being shot in the street for protesting not having protesting having to take a medication I mean it's a mix of totalitarian regimes of recent years in Africa or Asia or somewhere plus it throw, throw in a bit of Nazi Germany for the forced medical procedures <laughs> I mean it's like it's bizarre anyway. it's bizarre because there's only one place it goes if they follow it through yeah. yeah well this is the kind of place where it might go um, I'm not sure this video contains the scene in particular but let's play it anyway that's gunfire somewhere similar scenes last night Saturday night this weekend you know um, okay the second link I sent you has shorter videos uh, from Twitter the one you R sent me yeah Ryan in the chat there says that the Australian protests are very probably the largest ever seen in Australian history even bigger than the Iraq war protests in 2003 and Bahar says three people with bullet wounds that's in, in Rotterdam yeah but it was intense, uh, as someone else points out. There were also wounded among the police. That, yeah. So I mean that this—that's why I say I, I referred back to the beginning of the the yellow vest because the first December twenty eighteen was mayhem on the streets in Paris. So that's similar to what we saw in Netherlands just a couple of nights ago. Um, Except there's no police firing live rounds, if that's proven. Right. I doubt they'll be confessing to that in time. But that might... Okay, so on the one hand, like you suggested, oh, God, we're going totalitarian here. But it might be a sign of the kind of desperation that they felt they were in right there on the streets. You the know. police? The police, yeah. yeah but still, firing live rounds is like there's no going back from that. Like, yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot you can do before I'm you start shooting people I'm not in defending the street. it. Like, I'm not, I mean, uh, you yeah. go away. You walk away. Like, I mean, yeah. It's just a bunch of people lighting fires in the streets. You don't try oh, shooting them. No, like. I think that they were government buildings in Rotterdam. Well, They were yeah. like... Probably the pressure they're under to like get rid of these people, yeah. probably intense. Um, I think this video, yes, play that one, Scotty. That first one, okay, maybe not. 
Um, scroll down again. Not that one, I don't think. This one here, I think. Maybe. Next one. No, it's not. Not that one. There's no more. That's it. Yeah. This is the one, one where the guy shot. See, look at the other side of the street, the corner there. <clears throat> Just play it. <clears throat> okay. Hands up, don't shoot. <clears throat> and he's. They sound like gunshots right there. Okay, as opposed to if they're discharging a rubber bullet, it would be a lot less sharp, right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, maybe not. But I mean, the fact that he fell over and the way that he fell over, yeah. I mean, you see the distance of the police. I don't know, it depends. It's hard to say. But, but as Bahar said, and I think Bahar is, uh, is, is on the scene there. <clears throat> so she'd be reading Dutch news reports and stuff like that. Um, sorry for doxing you there, Bahar. Um, but. Um, she says that people, three people with gunshot wounds. So. Right, in hospitals, okay. Although, again, the police could say, well, we weren't, we weren't, the, we weren't firing live bullets. It was protesters, <coughs> some people that were with guns and stuff. So it's, it remains to be seen. But again, like so many other things, what happens is that a year later or two years later, the truth leaks out when everybody's forgotten about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, except the, the right things are snowballing. <laughs> yeah. It could be common. It could be common yeah, sight, be. you know. Right. Uh, um, the... Ryan in the chat room mentioned Australia. Yeah, they were nuts. So I think official, well, and official figures, but a decent estimate for one of them in Melbourne, a city of 5 million people, is about half a million people right. on the streets. So um, similarly, in proportion to yeah, the rest of the countries, similar numbers. Well, you can us. see how you'd get much much greater numbers. Like that would be 10% of the city of Melbourne out in the streets, which is a lot, like 10% of the city. And then you multiply it by 10 for others who feel the same way. Right, but people who... Um, which means everybody, <laughs> but well, it could be most people because at this point the governments have kind of like crossed the line, where they're no longer making much of a distinction between people who have done their duty, done their civic duty, and got vaccinated. They're saying, "Sorry, you're just you're in the same position as people who are unvaccinated. We're throwing you all in together. Everybody's locked down. Everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody has to show their passes. Blah blah blah." So uh, there's not much benefit to unvaccinated people right now, or sorry, to vaccinated people now compared to unvaccinated people. So you can see how vaccinated people will be getting a bit pissed off at this point. Like, you know, even the ones who said, yeah, well, you know, we'll be happy with unvaccinated people being locked down. The point is, lock down the unvaccinated people, not us. If you lock us down, what was the point of us doing yeah. Doing our <clears throat> civic duty? That's what I said to you. Like, sooner or later, <laughs> the trade-off has to come. There has to be something tangible they get for what they've done. Yeah. We've done our bit. So where is it? Give We're, it to us, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, uh, just on the, on the, on the COVID thing, um, stick up, uh, well, could, go ahead. Have you got something else to do before you go yeah, on? Yeah. Just briefly on, on, on increasing lockdown measures. I mean, it's, it's in the air. No, it's, it's on, excuse me. It's on paper. It's in print. It sounds like Germany will follow suit. Some parts of it, so far anyway, but we'll see. The thing is, you have to remember about all these things. Is And the, the, the Austrian chancellor mm. said it explicitly, said, my intention here, or my, my goal here is very clear, is to get people to get vaccinated. So all of these threats, they are threats that, that they're making. 
throughout the entire pandemic have not been followed up on essentially there's been an awful lot of compliance among the population but the threats of if you don't uh, you know uh, or you're not allowed to go here you can't do this you can't do this you can't do whatever uh, they haven't really manifested in, in, in practical reality where the people who <clears throat> had a bit of sense and went well I'll just take that on uh, as some advice from the government and I'll go ahead and do it anyway they find that they can do it you know and that's everything from going places uh, air travel, you know, different kinds of traveling to different places and going into different places. They're very easy to, to circumvent. There hasn't yeah. been a lot of actual policing of it because government understood that pl- people were policing it themselves. Yeah. There's a point there in, in several countries last year at the beginning, after a, few, a couple of months, that several governments had to get out and and actively and in a very concerned tone advise people to go to hospital if you're having chest pains, for example. Right. So they almost got freaked out by the extent of the compliance. compliance, yeah, yeah, to the point of self-harm. So they realize that people are extremely compliant at this point, or have been anyway, and they're following through. Whether they'll continue to be compliant is another story, but for now, the the Austrian Chancellor and obviously other governments are following suit, where they're continuing to throw out these threats to people's civil liberties, in order simply to get them to get vaccinated. They don't mean necessarily that they're going to actually follow through on them or that even if they pass a ruling that says, not allowed to go here, if you actually try and go there, you find you can go yeah. there. You know what I mean? So you have to be, be, be take that, you know, uh, with a grain of salt, essentially, okay. th- those, those claims, because they are designed, explicitly designed to be uh, deterrence to, well, threats, to nudge people. threats to encourage people to behavioral to get, encouragement to get vaccines okay we're still so we'll wait and see uh, but so far I don't think you know people are already suffering from the general atmosphere of you know a kind of depressed atmosphere fear and loathing type thing going around and people just aren't having a good time certainly they're not having as good a time in their general average everyday lives as they were pre-pandemic in the before times as this as cnn uh, so aptly called them the before times people are not as happy in general there's a general aura of fear and loathing and depression uh, over many countries and uh, and i think that's what was motivating a lot of the the protests as well as the various little um the strictures that are actually being placed on people like you know if you think about us here or people we know in other countries, they're not really restricted from anything compared to, you know, practical terms. Yeah. There's very little actual restrictions. So what is it that's pissing people off or what is it that's causing people to feel on edge, antsy? And that's what I think is, is provoking a lot of the protests. It's just this a, a kind of an anxiety that has been uh, injected into the atmosphere over the past 18 months that is causing people to feel discontented, disgruntled. They're all turning into disgruntled citizens. Remember, that was the term for uh, the uh, uh, for disgruntled citizens was included in uh, in the U.S. Uh, the, uh, the, what do you call it? The, the DHS depa- terror, department, terror Threat Department Warm. of Homeland Security. Yeah. Uh, that uh, a potential terror threat in the, uh, post-9-11 was... Uh, just general disgruntled citizens who just might... Uh, citizens disgruntled with, with uh, COVID pandemic measures. For sure, yeah. 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 That was cited, yeah. yeah. But any disgruntled citizen is a threat to the government, whatever he's disgruntled about. You Naturally. You're not allowed to be disgruntled. 
because um, the government does everything right all the time. Um, yeah. So we want to talk a little bit about, the, just, I've got a few details here on um interesting one from the UK's Office of National Statistics. It's called, uh, it's got a photo deaths. Um, this is from, as I, as I said, the Office of National Statistics. Um, it's the UK Office of National Statistics. Uh, and they produce this data on COVID deaths. And this is from, as you see, um, March this year until September. So six months. And the brown line, it, well, it's death rates. Basically, you've got on the left-hand side, you've got from 0 to 3.5 per 100,000 people. So how many people are dying from all causes um, per, over the last six months? And these are the numbers per 100,000 people. So it's not very many, like 3.5 per 100,000 people dying from all causes. But it's separated in the two lines between vaccinated and unvaccinated, the brown line being vaccinated, the blue line being unvaccinated. So basically for the past six months, for most of the past six months, let's say since April there from the... Near the, near the start of the graph on the left, from April to September this year, uh, vaccinated people <coughs> have been dying at twice the rate. That's crazy. But that's the <coughs> whole the whole argument at the moment is that get the jab to save your life. Well, we'll put up the we'll put up the link to the actual ONS website where they this is pulled from an Excel graph where you can see all the the numbers through. So they go through every week and they show the numbers between vaccinated and unvaccinated. We, 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 I didn't do this graph, but someone else did it. But I checked all the figures, <coughs> and they, and they okay. on the graph. So this they, graph isn't being shown anywhere, but that is no, indeed what it's they in the form of like. an Excel spreadsheet with right. actual numbers, okay. and these numbers have just been uh, tabulated or calculated from that graph. But I, I checked it, and they are, they, they are twice excess deaths over, from all causes mm-hmm. among vaccinated, or twice those uh, among the unvaccinated over the past five months, let's say. Uh, Oh, yeah, or sorry, the not the past of, five months, but from April, from April, early April, yeah, yeah, from April to September, end of, towards the end of September wow. this year, twice as much. Because so, that's the last leg; it's standing on the whole argument. Yeah, get your shot because it reduces severe cases, hospitalizations, and death. Well, I mean, there's there's obviously something to be discussed about this in terms of this is all deaths, right? This isn't COVID deaths. This is all all cause Fine. all okay. cause mortality, right? So you could say. Well, is there some other reasons that are causing, you know, causing? Uh, but again, it's separated but the here only by distinguishing right, factor is, is between the brown line and the right. blue line. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I mean, vaccinated and unvaccinated. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to argue with it. I always try to argue against my own conclusion when I look at something and think, "Oh my God, that's you know, that's a slam dunk. It's busted wide open type thing." And you then do, I go, Joe. On. And then I go, "Hang on a minute." No one does that. There's got to be, be like, some, "Hey, YouTubers." I'm like, "There's something I've, I've got to be missing here." There's, there's this, this it can't, can't be that. It simple. can't be as clear, clear cut. No but, doubt. Uh, and I try to, you know, that's why I'm just saying maybe there's some other reason that would cause unvaccinated people to be dying at twice the rate. Now, again, the reason this can be overlooked is because you think twice the rate—that's a lot. That's like 100 percent more or whatever. But look at the numbers on the left. It's it's two point. It's up to two point eight, down to two point seven, two point six, per hundred thousand people. Mm. Um, so per hundred thousand. There's still something at the margins. Yeah, of course. So, so it can be overlooked. So it can be. Yeah. It can be. It can be passed off as just normal deaths. Or it can be. You don't have accidentally to fudged. Right. In but depending on how you splice the data. Yeah, our government statisticians can just look at it and say, well, you know, it's not a big deal. They're just. People die every year. You know, this is in the UK, for example, 60,000 60, people die every month, roughly, of every year. 
every month. Uh, so 600, half a million, 600,000 people die every year in the UK of all causes. This is just some of those. What's your point? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but then if that's, the, if that's the tack you're going to take, then can't we use the same uh, approach to COVID deaths? Can't, couldn't we have used the same approach this to COVID This is the problem. Death? They won't pick a baseline, <laughs> right? A standard. It keeps shifting depending it's on how fair. you're looking at it. Equal opportunity. Um, so what's next? So, well, based, yeah, so that's just an interesting data. But then I just pulled... Um, there's also, what, what's the other, uh, dr- well, let's look at drugs, drugs that PNG. This is also from, this has been put together from the uh, vidiaccess.org. You can go to vidiaccess.org and look at each of these drugs. And this is, it was because vidiaccess and the World Health Organization have a kind of, or cooperate with each other, whatever. It just shows the number of adverse reactions to various drugs uh, that have been used for quite a long time um, and the years during which those drugs have been used. Now, for most of them, you see it's all back in the late 60s, 70s, uh, when they were first used and the total adverse reactions that were recorded for those drugs. So from the top is the lowest, right down to the bottom is the highest number of adverse reactions to a specific drug. Obviously, the highest in this list is, and I think this is, there aren't really any other drugs that would, would figure. These are the ones that have the most adverse reactions and the, the highest is uh, COVID-19 vaccines by a factor of 10 compared to the next highest, which is flu vaccine. Um, and this is worldwide. So, and of course, flu vaccines have been given since 1968. So if you imagine how many people, uh, we worked out something about 100 million people um, uh, in recent years get the flu vaccine in, in the U.S., Annually, yeah. Yeah, annually. So, I mean, of course, it, that's increased over the years. So you can say 100 million uh, every year going back to 1968. But you're still talking about probably several billion. Cumulatively. Or at least cumulatively over those years of vaccine doses given. And there have only been 272,000 uh, adverse reactions in that entire period of time. So very low, uh, <clears throat> you know, very risk, low risk. Uh, in terms of adverse reactions from influenza vaccines. But COVID-19 vaccines in just the past 9, 10 months since it was released are 10 times the amount, a bit less than 10 times the amount of adverse reactions in just one year compared to... And of course, then you have to wonder, well, how many people were taking the COVID vaccine? Well, according to our world and data, it's about uh, half the world, 53% of the world's population. So we're talking about 4 billion people or so. So 4 billion people. So you could actually say it's equivalent in a certain sense. Maybe you could estimate roughly that uh, the number of people who have had the COVID vaccine in the past year yeah. since it came out is equivalent to the number of people in uh, the last three decades who have had the... the um, Some kind of flu shot. The flu shot in the last three or four decades or since 1968. Um, <clears throat> and so that, those numbers then would kind of fit if, if the number of, of vaccines of both those kinds given, th- the, the difference between two those, num- those two numbers, which is about... Um, 10 times more uh, adverse reactions for a COVID vaccine uh, would probably hold true, roughly speaking. Um, which is interesting because, and I was trying to do all the numbers, right? I'm sitting there trying to figure out all the numbers, and then I just say, I wonder if there's anybody actually else reporting this. And just go to the CNBC uh, uh, article, Scotty, because then I finally went, you know what? These numbers are frying my brain. I'm kinda, I've kind of come up with the 10 times. Yeah. Uh, flu to Good COVID job. vaccine adverse reactions. And then I see that the CDC had already done this for me. 
what they, they say said, that there's from January this year. Yeah, ten t- severe allergic reactions to the COVID vaccine runs ten times compared to flu shot, but they're still rare. As long as you always say it's rare, then you can say whatever you want. And they knew that already in <clears throat> January. That's nuts. Yes. Well, they've done their tests and all that kind of stuff, right? right? Their trials, I mean, and then by January they had already they had a month or so of actually rolling it out in the population. So. Yeah, but hang but, on, severe allergic reactions is one thing. Mm. Freaking myocarditis is well, another. that's a severe allergic reaction. I mean, that that term "severe allergic reaction" means that you know your body is reacting in a severe way, severe okay. way to the, <coughs> to the vaccine. But, um, but most people associate an allergy <clears throat> with chew, chew. Okay, I'm better now. Yeah. So my point here in just in just bringing this up is that this is a reason, and it's backed up by the CDC, why anybody who feels that they're healthy and has a strong immune system does not need to justify saying that they don't want to get the vaccine. Because if you do the numbers, I mean, you could pull the numbers together yourself and you could show that actually, well, if I'm, if, the, if I have a, if, if, if the risk of a, an allergic reaction to the COVID vaccine is 10 times out of the flu, then that's quite, quite high. And based on my rough calculation of numbers, my chances of having a severe allergic reaction or a bad reaction or a problem with COVID-19 infection is lower than the chances of getting a severe reaction to the vaccine. Therefore, I'm not getting the vaccine. Yeah, this is exactly what all these so-called so anti-vaxxers have been right, doing. So a basic risk analysis, and they're going, I don't want to take it. Right, and it's totally and the government goes, you have to take it. I know, but it's a totally, the government's position in that respect is totally unjustified, even by their own, uh, you know, following the logic and, and just being reasonable about it. How could anybody disagree with you that when, when you present official data, even from the CDC, that it's quite risky compared to other vaccines? And, you know, when someone says, well, you got the flu vaccine, why don't you take the COVID vaccine? Well, because it's 10 times riskier. And I don't feel that I'm at risk from COVID, from any severe problems with COVID. Therefore, I don't want the vaccine. Okay, can you go away now? What's, what else is there to say? Well, there's more to say, yeah, because you not being vaccinated means that you're driving variants and mutations of the existing vaccine or existing uh, virus. And you're continuing the whole pandemic for everybody. And you're continuing the, you know, you're giving governments reason to continue lockdowns and putting pressure on the health service, health service, and blah 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 blah. But if you just go to the CNN article, again, this is publicly available information, and this in, in CNN is only a, a dodgily distilled version of the actual studies that have been done. Vaccination is not enough. We'll just go down to the first paragraph. Is pretty much all you need to know. Vaccination alone won't stop the rise of new variants and, in fact, could push the evolution of strains that evade their protection, researchers warned Friday. So that argument that unvaccinated people are, you know, encouraging or driving mutation of existing SARS-CoV-2 strains is, 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 is not true. And it's also, this is something that they don't really know very much about. Uh, this is new. These mRNA vaccines in particular are brand new. They've never been rolled out to so many people at once. Uh, they've never really done it during, you know, so broadly and so massively and among so many people at the, during an, a new virus. And they themselves um, throw in the idea that it's a lab-manufactured vi- manufactured virus. And it makes it even more complicated. They really don't know. And if you just go to the RT article, uh, an example of how they don't really know what they're talking about and any 
scientists worth his salt would admit that, yeah, we can't say what's driving mutations and, you know, we don't really know. Uh, in Japan, <laughs> scholars, they, well, they don't really explain the mysterious disappearance of Delta variant in Japan. Um, if you just go, I think it's the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eighth paragraph. We were literally shocked to see the findings. The researchers told the Japan Times. So here you have virologists, epidemiologists being literally shocked to find that in one particular country of something like about 130 million people, the Delta variant just went poof and went away. It went away. So they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. None of them can claim that they really know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to mutations and strains and variants and all that kind of stuff. And they can't claim that unvaccinated people are the ones who are driving it. In fact, standard virology, uh, the, the most common, you know, the, the basic understanding of, 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 of mutations, the one that you hear the most of and you, that, that is more standard in terms of that, that, that discipline and its, its understanding of viruses is that it's vaccination that very often or has been known in the past to drive mutations, not it's simply the virus, you know, entering into someone who's unvaccinated. Because if you're a healthy person and you're, and you're unvaccinated, your immune system pretty much takes care of the virus. Um, and that's a scenario that that guy, uh, the Dutch guy, Geert van den Bosch, yeah, warned about. The basic, I'll just give you the basic idea. The basic idea is that when you vaccinate someone, you're, you're vaccinating them, especially with an mRNA vaccine, you're vaccinating them with a very targeted vaccine that's in this case targeted against, uh, it's not even a vaccine, it's gene therapy, right? Anyway, it's targeted against one particular, narrowly targeted against one particular protein of, of a virus and the antibodies that it produces or whatever uh, in the process of stimulating an immune response in that very targeted way, if that person during that period of the first shot when they first get immunized and your immune system starts to figure out, you know, starts to activate based on the instructions of the mRNA vaccine, mRNA gene therapy. If the virus comes along and is in your body at that time, it, it, the way they describe it is it actually gives it a kind of heads up look at what kind of immune response. They almost describe it in an intelligent way that the virus gets a advanced notice after that first shot as it sees your immune system start to develop immunity. It gets a, a preview of what kind of immunity you would build up to, you're building up to defend against this virus and the virus can then look at that quote unquote and um, mutate in a way that avoids it. So it's actually the process of vaccination that is most likely to produce uh, mutant strains or mutations that might evade vaccination. Yeah. So again, that's that's an open debate. It's very complex. They don't know a lot of, a lot of, a lot about it because of, it's all novel, both the virus because it was made in a lab and also the rollout of this gene therapy slash pseudo-vaccination on billions of people. So they don't really know what they're doing and there's no one can claim that unvaccinated people are driving mutations and continuing the pandemic and continuing lockdowns. If you're healthy, your risk from COVID is extremely low. If you're healthy, your risk from the vaccination is 10 times the risk from a flu vaccine. There's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Unless you've been terrified into believing that you're going to drop dead as soon as the, as soon as the virus comes within 10 feet of you, you know. So, yeah, and just I'll just throw up these for, just for, to make one point, basically, about them. 
um, we talked last week about vaccine deaths, right? I mean, there seems to have been a lot of, of, of other than what we've, what we've just shown about adverse reactions, there's been a lot of actual deaths. Throw up the MSN.com one. It's kind of funny. It's from um, Kuala Lumpur from Malaysia. Um, the Health Ministry's Senior Principal Assistant Director, Dr. Kai Ko Miao, Miao Miao, uh, died on the 17th of November, uh, 16th, no, 17th of November. He died on the 17th of November. He completed his COVID-19 booster dose on November 9th, did not report any extraordinary side effects. He was also present for duty as usual on November 17th, and then on November, or on November 16th, and then on November 17th, he dropped it. And, but the, uh, the health ministry official has said, please don't speculate about whether or not the vaccine could have killed him or that he may have had a very severe allergic reaction to the mRNA vaccines. That's the kind of thing that's been happening a lot. And it's Please only, don't state the obvious. Uh, just, yeah. You know, <laughs> just shut up and take the vaccine like Ex him. Exactly, yeah. It's not exactly appealing, is it? No. Uh, and the, these reports are fairly rare. I mean, it tends to be in countries like Malaysia and uh, we had one last week from, from some other Asian country and stuff. No, because in the West, they're smarter. They know. go, died after short illness. Yeah. Look up, <laughs> died after short illness on Google. Um, anyway. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, there's that and there's just a few more, a few more graphs I just want to throw up just to give, to make one point. It's all the deaths one. Deaths. Oh, no, sorry, not deaths, Scotty. Uh, just the country names. Yeah. So this is, what, what's that one called? That one's called USA. So this is just USA. And this is from our world in data. If you go to our world in data, you can look at all these yourself. There's different parameters you can throw in to see. Our world in data slash COVID or just our world in data COVID. Uh, do a search for it and it'll bring up the website uh, with all these graphs and stuff that you can select different parameters. This is vaccine doses and confirmed deaths, just side by side. This is for the USA. So vaccine doses per 100,000. Or no, sorry, per 100 people. Um, let see, it was rolled out, obviously, what's that, like December? Yeah, December 2020, up until today, vaccine doses going way up there. Down below, I mean, on the one hand, you could look at it and you say, hang on a minute. So as the vaccines rolled out and they get increased, increased, but then you have this spike on the right-hand side in, in, in uh, deaths. As the vaccine numbers were increasing on the bottom, you have an increase in deaths. Then you'd have to get into, well, who are those deaths among? Are they among the vaccinated or unvaccinated? I don't know. It doesn't give you that. But that's not my point here. I think that's there's two things going on here, basically. And I'll show you in a minute because maybe you'll notice the difference. It's the bottom half of these graphs that I want you to look at. So you look at the bottom half of that one, then go on to the next one. This is the UK. And just look at the months. Bottom half of the graph, look at the months and the graph shape. Go on to the next one. This is for Europe. Look at the bottom half of the graph, look at the months, look at the shape of the graph. I think we've got a France one as well, do we? Bottom half of the graph, shape, months. Basically, <laughs> what you're seeing is normal seasonality yes. of a normal respiratory virus. And the numbers aren't that significant in terms of deaths. You have, in different countries, you have marginal or small amount percentage increase in excess deaths 
we talked last week about um, in France how they put out a report about hospital activity last twenty in twenty twenty, uh, and that two percent of uh, hospital admissions were COVID admissions in, in twenty twenty during this yeah. horrible, terrible, deadly pandemic. Two percent of all admissions to hospital were COVID admissions, but we were told that the hospitals were collapsing almost literally from the weight of patients. Uh, and this is that's true across the world, basically. Um, it was put out that hospitals were were in, in dire straits. The health service was in dire straits. It was about to collapse. But then you look at the actual data across the board, and it was all extremely low in terms of hospital admissions for COVID. Um, so anyway, those graphs show two separate things. One, the seasonality of an, a normal normal seasonality of a respiratory virus, yeah. where it peaks, it goes up in the winter, people succumb to it. The other thing is, if you look at all of those countries, all Western countries, you see that prior to 2020, if you look at the graphs for on our world and data, you look at graphs for um, excess deaths on their own, you see that before the graphs start and they go back a little bit into 2019, all of them were well below. Some of them, in like in the case of Germany, they had minus 10% average over five years or whatever, minus 10% excess deaths. So that 10% less than normal yeah. deaths. And then within a few months, you have this spike up to about 10 or 15% excess deaths in April and May last year. But you have to subtract the minus 10%, which is they do every year. And this is the term that I've used before that this statisticians call dry tinder they see that when they have very low excess deaths in the winter season when normally they would expect a lot of people to die particularly older people die from various circulating respiratory viruses uh, if, if, sometimes if, you if, can if, have if a run of good years yeah of if that circulation is very low of those viruses you will have very low deaths you won't have the expected or average over over the previous number of years you'll have very low in this particular winter because there's low circulation of circulation of viruses but they absolutely expect that either Within the next few months, as if viruses come come back online or come back into circulation in March and April, you'll have a big spike. Or the following winter, you'll have a big spike, and they don't care because it's the normal ebb and flow of life. If you have much reduced deaths one particular winter, you're going to have an increase the next winter. They call it dry tinder, i.e., those people are ready to go off. There are people who would have died, who were who basically, you know, literally, not literally, figuratively, had one foot in the grave. They yeah. don't have very long to live. Something's going to come along, most likely or in a lot of cases, a respiratory illness uh, puts them over the edge because a lot of them have serious comorbidities. And it's always been that way. So you have to look, when you look at these spikes in April and May last uh, last year, you have to look at what was happening beforehand. And I noticed it's interesting, all of them, like you look through almost every single European country and the USA, they're all well below the zero mark for the previous winter, like, like uh, September, October, November, December of 2019. Very, very low ex excess deaths i.e. a lot of dry tender to spark off in April and May the following year. And then after that, you have this seasonality where this virus just becomes part of the, the circulating, one of the several circulating viruses. Um, and can I... And, and then, but the other thing is that, so there's two separate things. So there's that just happening. And then while that's happening, you have this other graph, that we, uh, the top part of that graph, those graphs that I was showing you, showing this massive vaccination campaign. And they're separate, you know. That, that's why I wasn't drawing a, a comparison between the like spike, <coughs> spike in deaths in the last few months, like say September, October, November, and into December. You have this <coughs> currently this increase in deaths that they're ascribing to COVID, 
as vaccination is peaking. It's like, well, is that vaccination causing that? Like, maybe, but not necessarily, because the most important thing in the graph below is the normal seasonality where respiratory, respiratory virus deaths like like COVID um, spike in the wintertime. What? So for now, you would hold off on suggesting as others who follow the numbers. I'm thinking of Alex Berenson, for example, mm. ex-NYT journalist, who's writing, you know, daily updates saying, holy shit, people, in every country I'm looking at, excess deaths are up in mm. 20 but this, this year. Again, that's separate, right? Because that will be a separate graph because I yeah. looked at that, that small graph that, that, that showed the, the twice in the UK double the excess deaths compared to between vaccinated and unvaccinated. But that's separate <clears throat> from those graphs I was just showing which is COVID deaths um, compared to vaccinations. You know what I mean? So that, that, that would be separate. You could look, I would say like, you look at COVID deaths and don't co correlate COVID deaths because they're, they're spiking now with the, with the increase in vaccinations and say, well, are those vaccinations causing COVID deaths? No, I would probably, you'd have to do a graph between uh, the timeline of vaccination rollout and that, those figures of excess deaths and then try and compare those because Put it this way, anybody who is dying or ha having severe reactions or possibly dying as a result of vaccination, they're not dying from COVID. They're not being put down as COVID deaths. They won't be recorded as COVID deaths. They'll just be lumped in with excess deaths. Yeah. So don't try and compare vaccinations with the graphs on COVID deaths because it's apples, apples and oranges, right? There's no correlation between the two because they're not recorded as such. Try and, if you want to look it up, look up excess deaths but again excess deaths usually aren't published <clears throat> uh, until the past the end of the year you know for the previous year you know so again there's a lag in all of this and it's hard to but again we can look at that 2020 but that was before vaccinations depending on the country excess deaths were marginal or within tolerances let's say and again factoring in the fact that there were much less below significantly below excess average excess deaths um for the previous five years at the end of 2019 the point is you have to average it all out and mm -hmm. it takes you got to look at it broadly you know if anybody and the media wants you to just focus on like well th at the moment they're turning out chart after chart after chart showing whatever vice baseline they're using they're showing and they're including last year in these charts it's like a giant hockey stick right now at the end of the chart it's like holy look at these cases and over here, you see the little camel hump that represents the hysteria we had last year in yeah. April, March. Right, uh, so it's way worse this year than last year. That's what them. they're suggesting. And that that's why we need to lock down again and we need to get everyone vaxxed. Well, extra double, e, so, uh, extra double plus by the standard, uh, Have the standards changed? Are they still using roughly the same standard for what is a COVID case? They're in? just keeping it going. Like we said, am I, I'd said this, I mean... Like I've said it multiple times on, on, on Facebook and stuff over the course of last year, right from the pretty much from the beginning when it was clear what they were doing, I said they're not going to let go of this. They're not letting go of this. Governments will not unless something really happens to force them to let go or something comes along that just makes COVID pale in comparison to it. They're not letting go of the power and control and, and you know, authority, extra authority it has that the the so-called pandemic has gifted to governments. They're not going to let go of it, so they're going to keep it going. They're going to have every reason, them and epidemiologists, just from the terms of job justification and media time, they're all invested in, a, in this being a thing that keeps going, even though it's not really 
keeping going and it was never something that really should have been made much of an issue of they're going to keep it going so um don't expect anybody to see any sense you know and they yeah. will and, i mean you've got it across the board like what are the three main components in this government science so government scientists not science because there's no such thing as science even though they talk about the science there's no such thing as science because all science that you hear of is filtered through human beings who are fallible right. and corruptible. So you've got government, science, and media. They're, they're the three people who are who created this in a certain sense and, and are continuing it by, by, and getting the people involved in it. And, and all three of them have clear vested interests in keeping it going. Government because of power and, and control and authority. Scientists for notoriety, for job justification, for some airtime, for grants, and the media for money. Because the government is being, or the media is being given shitloads of money yeah. by government for government. I saw it on the independent, the UK independent the other day. I was reading an article it was about COVID and vaccinations and stuff. And it's had down the bottom that this was sponsored by the UK government. Yeah. I, the government had funded a shitload of money for the independent to put out, put out that article. I'm not doing it on an article by article basis. They've been giving just a, a lump sums of money yeah. to all media institutions. So, someone ran an analysis of British media companies. Something yeah. like 90% of the revenue now is from the right. government. Yeah. yeah. So there's no. It's all biased. So it's a government scientist media complex. Yeah, pretty much of our time. Well, speaking of them not having a clue what they're talking about, but certainly wanting to give that impression. Otherwise, this is part of the reason why you can have scholars in Japan be quote literally shocked mm. when they just I don't know. Either I don't know who they are. Maybe I was going to suggest when they do some real research, but maybe it's more that when they go beyond the confines of what they're told to or unconsciously know they should, they should stay within. So this is, um, this is, this is Scott Atlas. Scott Atlas is a medical doctor and MD. Right. He was appointed by President Trump in 2020 mm -hmm. to join the coronavirus something action response team, whatever, for the White House. So he was working with Fauci, that female and woman, I can't remember I'm her listening. name. So he spoke recently to uh, Tucker Carlson. This is his, in two minutes, experience of what it was like working with Fauci. In mid-August, I went to the task force meeting. And I'm listening to these people talk, and, and I was stunned. I was stunned at the lack of knowledge, at the complete lack of knowing the data, at the lack of critical thinking. Fauci, Burks, Redfield, my first meeting, the vice president turns to me and said, well, does everyone agree? And I'm sort of re reluctant to speak up. And he, he sees my face and he says, well, Scott, you know, you're here for a reason. I asked you to come here to say your opinion. If you disagree, say it. And I said, okay, I totally disagree. And then I went through the data. And in fact, I was the only one who had scientific papers in the task force meeting. I walked around the White House my entire time and every task force meeting I went to with a dozen, two dozen papers, all the new data. And I would go through the scientific paper when, papers whenever I spoke. And whenever I spoke about an issue, whether it was the school's opening, the risk to children, the immunity, no one there, none of these medical people offered any data to rebut it. None of them, not one. They never had any scientific paper to rebut it. They would just say, I'm an outlier. So they would go after you personally. It was all personally. They were a unit. Burks, Fauci, and Redfield. In fact, Dr. Burks said in, say, January, February of this year that 
I didn't know this at the time, she had an unwritten sort of contract agreement with Fauci and Redfield that if one of them got fired, they would all fire. So I thought Dr. Fauci, he knew the material from the emails that he wrote to his friends from February, March, about what was said during the meetings revealed by not just Dr. Fauci, by all the medical people in the task force, a lack of knowledge about the data. They never cited a scientific study. I was talking almost every single day to some of the world's best epidemiologists about the data on an ongoing basis. These people, there was never any indication that they knew the papers, cited a paper, or, or even criticized the paper, not one. I've never worked with people at this level in my career as I did in that task force, and I'm not saying at a high level. Okay, I'm saying at a low level. I'm not sure these people could have been assistant professors where I worked. I mean, there was a lack of critical thinking, a lack of preparation, no one-sided data but me. So there you go. Well, that's, that's his experience working with the people who tell you to, quote, follow the science and follow the data. They themselves do not follow the freaking data. They don't care about it. They're not interested in it because that's not what it's about. It's about control and about power and one's position influence over other people and that's I mean again it's all filtered through fallible human beings and in this case we're talking about the kind of worst of the the, <laughs> the worst of the lot in a certain yeah. sense the most corruptible the most corrupt the people most corrupted. who didn't earn their positions because of their merit they're not the right. best of us no. in their field no and they're not going to let it go they have a vested interest in keeping a personal vested interest in keeping it going because it's about power and control. That's the bottom line. And until people accept that, they're not going to see what's going on. But it's it's the most logical, rational, and uh, the most logical, rational explanation for it that also maps to reality, that explains all the questions people have. I hear people out there all the time going, what's going on? I just don't understand. It's very confusing and stuff. And, but they just leave it at that. Yeah. You can you can solve it. You can solve this problem, this conundrum, this parent conundrum. You can uh, figure this one out. You just have to be willing to accept some hard truths. But there's an awful lot of people who want the comfortable lie instead of the hard truth. So, so be it. You make your choice. Anyway, will we leave it there? It's or do you time. have some pressing... I really wanted to play that Australian TV report about the unvaxxed, the Christmas. Well, it's a good thing. It's coming up to Christmas, so how long is it? I don't remember. Um, It's a month till Christmas now, so uh, maybe it'd be instructional for people to to just get an idea of how they can navigate the the difficult... uh, The difficult choices you're going to have to face this Christmas, people. But fear not, because the media, which is you know the key part of that uh, trifecta we talked about, they have some answers. So you just follow them, do what they suggest, and everything will be fine. If we pull it up there, Scotty, we'll see how long it is. Maybe there's a time on it. Two me. minutes. Ah, oh, Jesus. Oh, let's start. Okay. Many of us will be it's faced glorious. with a new dilemma. How to handle unvaccinated loved ones and whether you should spend time with them over the festive season, sit next to them at Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. So how do you find mm-hmm. out who is vaccinated and how do you decide Interrogate to invite them. them over for Christmas lunch? We've got the tips and the tricks to help you avoid awkward encounters. 
They say you can't choose your family, and it's never more relevant than at Christmas. Apart from the glazed ham and stuffed turkey, Mm. there'll also be an elephant in many dining rooms this festive season. The vaccination status of your nearest and dearest. I'd invite them. They probably need to get a negative test, though. I don't mind, actually. So um, I'm fully vaccinated, so it's fine. Wrong answer. But probably not. Now the COVID-19 vaccine is widely available across the country and Australia is reopening. This year, we're all facing a very unique predicament. These conversations about whether somebody is vaccinated or not can be challenging because it is a personal Mm. question. The past Mm. two years has already been divisive enough, so it's never been more important to engage in peaceful and respectful conversations with your loved ones about their vaccine status before you invite them to your house or other social events this Christmas. After you've checked the public health orders for where you live, you need to weigh up the risk. Everybody's welcome. Come one, come all, the doors are open. Or you can decide to say, we or love screw you. you. However, this year, we're deciding to err on the side However, of caution year, and only vaccinated people are coming for you're Christmas. You're a filthy unvaxxer. And his top tips are, be upfront. <laughs> Having the conversation early and directly is paramount. You can yes. blame the health advice for not having unvaccinated guests over. Or move the Good. celebrations to a venue. Then you're guided by their rules. Like Alternatively, the the consider having the celebration outdoors where the risk is less. The government well, is making nice decisions cold. for the broader population, but it's up to us to make decisions for what's safe and right for our families. Hmm. Yeah. It's the government's important. making decisions for all of us. That's how you normalize We will make it. our own sovereign decisions. No, you won't. You'll just say whatever the government says. That's how you normalize the division and division in society. The, the, yeah. The division the of no, society. The tones. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, it's all great. Uh, just have a conversation about it and say, well, you know, I'm going to disown you because you're unvaccinated. You know, at one of the most important times in the year when families kind of get together who possibly haven't seen each other for a long time, I'm going to make the decision this year because you're unvaccinated to not invite you and maybe cause a permanent rift in our family. But I'm doing it with a smile on my face. And it's because and I it's love be- you. And it's because I love you. And it's because I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. And I'm just listening to what and, the media... And, and anyway, I, I was told to blame the government's health advice. So yes, I'm it's going the to government. The government made me, made me shun you, my dear child. So, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry about it, people. It's all fine. This is normal. This is fine. This is normal. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Uh, happy Christmas. <laughs> We're not there yet. Uh, happy Halloween. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanks- Black Friday. Thanksgiving. Happy Black American Friday. Listeners, yeah. Black Friday is a worldwide thing now, no? It's been... It's, it's, like, it's spread like a sure. spread like a virus around the world, Black Friday. Yeah. Black Friday, they call it in France. Black Friday. Yeah. I have no idea what they're saying. Black Friday. <laughs> Uh, it's English. I don't know what the fuck you mean. Um, so yeah, happy Black Friday. Go out there to your local Walmart or your local whatever and wreck the place. And uh, but just socially <laughs> socially distance while you're doing it. Wreck the place. Wreck the place. Steal all the stuff. Uh, you know, beat people up to get the latest flat screen TV. But make sure you socially distance while you're doing it because you'll get the virus and die immediately. That's all we have to say on the topic for this week, folks. Um, thanks a lot more next for, week. Yeah, there'll be a lot more next week. Um, thanks for watching, listening, whatever you're doing. Thanks to our commentators for commentating <laughs> or running commentary. Um, 
1,944 have died in Australia with COVID in the last 21 months in a country of 25 million. Yep. That's what I call a deadly pandemic. Crikey. Crikey. It's a disaster. That's what you should disown your family over, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so thanks, guys, for watching, listening, commenting. Really important. Smash all the buttons, like everything, uh, and we'll be back next week with another show. Until then, you all have a good week, and stay safe, and uh, shut up and get the vaccine. See you or, next week. Bye. See you. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.